Oh, yeah! This is the manly man, Randy Brutal, talking at ya. When I'm on the road, I pass the time between matches, snapping to Slim Jims, and listening to the Sean Geek Podcast, which I download off of SeanMcGinnity.ca. That's the Sean Geek Podcast, downloaded off of SeanMcGinnity.ca, brother. Oh, yeah! Welcome to the Sean Geek and Fast Fret podcast with your host, Sean and Todd. Yeah. I am the geek. He is the fret. Welcome to the <laughs> Cuckoo Kachoo. <laughs> <laughs> I had thought of changing the name at some point to the Geek and Fret podcast. I thought that was kind of a cool, like, standout name, but it's hard to rebrand. Geek Fret? Yeah. The Geek Fret Podcast. Hmm. Sounds kind of no, cool. it's 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 fine the way it is. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's been established. Yeah, it's been established <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. Like that's the hard thing. Uh, I had a hard time adding in the fast fret on there, but I really wanted to, and plus lots of peer pressure from the podcast community. That to be to be fair, Todd is the star of the show. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not. I'm the sidekick. Well, more than sidekick, I think. I'm like Robin. <laughs> Robin. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I just get the image of Eminem dressed as Robin from that that video. Do you ever see the video of Eminem dressed as Robin? No. Oh my God, Todd, how are you not aware of these things? Uh, um, it's M- Eminem. That's that's rap, right? Yeah. I don't I don't really bother with that. Um, uh, I not really a fan of Eminem per se. I don't mind his stuff. Although his stuff is, is more palatable than some of the other stuff. So yeah. Is, I, that, is that the one that says uh, with the real slim shady stand up or something yep. like that? Yeah. Um, let's see if this is the one. There's a period. I don't know if he was like taking lots of drugs or not, but there was a period where he said he was taking a lot of lots of drugs. I think rappers, it goes, you know, where people, you know, you buy those um, toys and stuff and they have the different um, appendages that can move. Like you can move their shoulder, oh, you can yeah, move yeah. your elbow. Some of them were like the elbows were like molded together and you couldn't do anything with it. It's, it, it's almost like rappers, like their shoulders are, are hooked up together and that's now their elbows because they're constantly moving their arms back and forth but their shoulders kind of stay in one spot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, now is that like, uh, like the DDP, so they, they DDP yoga, DDP. <laughs> but they have rap DDP yoga. <laughs> well, yeah, the real shoulder DDP. injury. No problem. Just do the rap version. Yeah. Na 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 na. We, we, we need to do a rap song, Todd. Uh, or like, uh, like a parody yeah a parody it would have to be a parody because yeah we, we'd have to do rap a, would probably suck i'm sure yeah a country parody and uh 
a parody, which is also parody. which is also French for paradise, right? Parody, parody, parody. Yeah, yeah. Or paradise, which is if you mispronounce the French word, it sounds like a pair of dice. I don't know. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Why are we talking about Eminem? I don't know. Yeah, because we were talking about Robin. How do we get on Robin? How do we get on Robin? We we're talking about sidekicks. Yeah, I was this. I was. A, I'm the Robin. Oh, sidekick. The there you go. Yeah. Then Robin's Coffee is also the Manitoba Money Shots' favorite coffee of choice. I prefer Robin's over Tim's. Holy shit, dude! But that's me. Yeah. No, I went to when. Um, that sounds like another poll. When I went to. <laughs> all right. God damn it. <laughs> Robin's entertain the masses, Todd. Okay. You do the poll. Now, now I don't know if you want to throw McDonald's in there. Sure. I can do yes. up to three. I think maybe up four. to three. Okay. Go ahead, talk. I'm, I'm actually just going to start typing here. Which we come up with these polls every every episode. Yeah, which is better for coffee of these three? See, then you can put another poll with, you know, cream, sugar, or black. Yep. Now I used to drink coffee with sugar and cream. Wait, coffee with sugar. So how much sugar? How much cream? Was it a double double? Um, and for the Americans, a double double is two cream, two sugar. Just so they see, know. See, that kind of depends. I, I think it used to be a double double. I guess it would have been. I mean, this was before the term double double came out. It was just you know just poured lots in and just called it coffee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then from there, the sugar. See, with me for sugar, like some people, when they eat sugar, they they get that really hyper uh, type of personality and then they kind of crash. With me, I don't get hyper. I just do the crash. So I've uh, I, I kind of gave up on the sugar part. It took a while to get kind of used to it. Mm, uh, yes. But back in the day when I used to uh, uh, used to go over to uh, Salmon Blair's used to have a, a fiberglass company we used to do out of out of the shed oh my god I forgot had, about that. yeah and he had yeah and he had a wood stove and then he put the coffee pot on and it would just be black yep and depending how long you waited you know it could be like syrup when you drank it uh so i kind of got used to the the black coffee without even putting cream in it so and since i mean since then i've, I've never it's too sweet. Like if you're used to something not being there and then putting it in, then you yeah, notice it right away. Overkill, especially if it's like a too too milk, too sugar. Yeah, too cream, too sugar. It's too like for someone, or it's like too milk, too sugar is like enough. But you get too cream, too sugar. It's like, Phew. but I will have to say, so so of this poll, which your favorite of those three coffees is black. But, uh, but which of, of the brands? So we said McDonald's. Oh, Robbins. Or Robbins. Robbins of the three for sure? Yeah. I mean, Robbins, I mean, now so now I think it's more so uh, McDonald's and Robbins because I think there's uh, the Robbins, there's a lot less in the city, so it's a little harder to get to. Yeah. The uh, Robbins but, is my favorite as well of the three, like hands down. Yeah. When yeah. we went up to Gimli, they had a Robbins attached to the hotel. I'm like, oh my God, they got a Robbins here. So I'm definitely going to get a Robbins coffee. And then I had the coffee. I'm like, holy fuck, this is good. It's like, really? We're drinking Tim's? 
all the time and Tim's is expanding and expanding and expanding. I heard a rumor. It's marketing. I don't know if it, it is 100% marketing because it's not based on flavor. So here's the thing I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not. Manitoba Money Shop, if you're listening, I'm sure you can prove or disprove this theory. And I'm sure Sam, who's also a big fan of Robin's, can probably say something. But I put it on the poll. So let's see if these two uh, people answer this. So I heard that Robin's, or sorry, when Tim's got bought, Tim Hortons got bought out because they got bought out by somebody, some probably some American company because that's what American companies do. We can't make this good. So we are going to buy a Canadian company to learn how to do it right. And then they go and change everything about the Canadian company, including how they get their coffee. They change yeah, they use a different coffee now. Yeah. But apparently the coffee they were using before at Tim's McDonald's bought. Yeah, I heard that too. So now McDonald's coffee is old Tim Hortons coffee when Tim Hortons used to be good. Well, now you can go to McDonald's and buy Tim Hortons coffee. How it was before the takeover. The original have like a little icon of Tim's on the very corner. <laughs> so isn't, so isn't that ironic? It, it's, it's, it's just really weird. So who, who bought out Tim's? Okay. Let's look this up. Cause I'm very curious. Cause I don't know. I'm assuming it's an American company because again, American companies just buy everything. Right. While you're looking that up, I, I did notice on a chip bag, I think it was Lay's and it said something about, okay, these were barbecue chips, but it was the Humpty Dumpty flavor that they were using on their chips. Wait, so say that again. It was a company. I think it was Lay's. I could be wrong, but there was a company of chip yeah. that had posted on their chip bag because these were barbecue chips, but they weren't their brand of barbecue chips. It was the Humpty Dumpty flavoring that they were using on their chips. Now, I don't know if it's a cross brand or if they're owned by the same company, <sighs> su subsidiary or something. Cause usually some, cause sometimes when one company buys out the other company, then they start making them interchangeable. Yeah. I'm just looking Humpty Dumpty Lay's. Okay, now, Humpty you... Dumpty and Old Dutch are tied together. Oh, oh Old Dutch. Maybe that what it, what's what, it, what it was. Yeah, it was Old Dutch maybe. And also Candillo Foods. Like they're all part of the same thingamabob. Like Frito Del Rey. So who, is own, who owns Lay's? Lay's is Hostess, I think. Because back home, it was always Ho Hostess yeah. or Humpty Dumpty. Those were the two brands. Now, does Hostess still exist? Yep. Yeah, they still do. So they didn't just say, okay, we're going to be called Lay's now? No, no, no. It, it all depends. It's like a branding thing. Like, you'll, it, It's like having two restaurants side by side owned by the same company. But it's, it's the illusion that they're not the same. So you so have is choice. This, but you don't have choice. You're still buying from one company. Is this like a, a KFC Taco Bell slash in the same building, different yeah. company, kind like of sort of the same. In that case, like they're completely different restaurants, right? Or completely different styles of food. Okay. But I, I just pulled up the guess who bought Tim Hortons in 2014. I'm, I had no fucking idea this happened. I knew bought it. I knew it was an American company. I'm a little bit wrong. Okay. Who was it? So as per Google, uh, on August 26th, 2014, Burger King agreed to purchase Tim Hortons 
for $11.4 billion. I didn't think Burger King was doing that well to be able to have that much money to, to buy them. I know. Like, so that's kind of way behind McDonald's. Now uh, the chain became a subsidiary of the Canadian holding company, restaurant brands international, which is a majority owned by Brazilian investment form through investment firm, three G. What the hell? So theoretically, 5G hears about this. <laughs> 3G, the lesser version of 5G. Um, so does that still? So it's a subsidiary of Restaurant Brands International, which is majority owned by Brazilian. So there's a Brazilian connection. Wow, that's weird. So theoretically, so Tim Hortons and McDonald's, they're the two, honestly, when it comes to coffee, those are the two that are fighting it out. Like those are the two coffee brands fighting it out when you go get coffee. So is this like a... So long, that's, but that's McDonald's long. and Burger King fighting it out. That's really what it is. Wow. So Juan Valdez, he was, uh, was he Brazilian? Or was he Colombian? I don't know. Good question. Who is see we know nothing about nothing no <laughs> it's like i don't know let's look <laughs> uh oh he's a fictional character who has appeared in advertisements for the national federation of coffee growers of columbia since mm-hmm. since 1958 so he represents a colombian coffee farmer and he typically appears with his mule conchita yeah, that's right. kind of like when you incorporate a, a business, so you can't really sue him because he doesn't really exist. Yes. You sue the company, not an individual. Yes, exactly. So that's why companies get away with murder and you can only sue the company and not the actual individual. Yep. Yeah. So you're not a fan of the Tims. Uh, we, we, we started going. I heard that Double Double started. Now, here, here's what I heard. Double Double, the concept of Double Double. And I could think from Double Bubble. Maybe. Double bubble. Remember double bubble? Mm-hmm. They're really hard, 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 hard. <laughs> yeah. Two cent bubble gum that and then when, Zuka Joe in it. Yeah. And that was cool. But then Hubba Bubba came out. It was soft. Yeah. And, and it, it could stick to your face. Hubba Bubba didn't. That was their whole thing. You could pop a bubble. Right. Goes on your face. And you could just take it off. Take it off, yeah. But the other one, what was the other bubblegum company there? It was Hubba Bubba and there was another one similar, Bubblicious or something? Yeah, I think it was Bubblicious. Yeah, that would stick to your face. And imagine if you were a kid with a one of those porn star mustaches there (laughs) that we all had when we were, you know, like 13, 14 years old. Popping a bubble. Hubba Bubba wouldn't stick to your mustache. But the Bubblicious would. Yeah, but the worst thing is, is when you tried to blow bubble and you had a hair stuck <laughs> in the gum, and it looked like it looked like an ass ass cheeks spreading out because <laughs> the where the hair was, it would kind of stay there, and everything else would kind of expand. That's hilarious. Now, now I heard something, and this was obviously an old wives' tale. This this isn't real, but someone had something. Oh yeah, there's fish eggs in there or some weird caviar, <laughs> caviar, <laughs> caviar gum. <laughs> <laughs> or caviar flavored gum. Mm. Love your breath. I think you'll get my gray coupon to put onto my hubba bubba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rich people's gum. Bazooka Joe, that was like the cheap gum you buy for like 
a nickel or a penny or whatever the hell it was. I, I think it was two cents at the time. Yeah. Well, back in back in our day, but or it you, may have been. But if you wanted to buy Hubba Bubba, Hubba Bubba and Bubblicious were more expensive. Oh yeah, because they were all prepackaged yeah. and they were moist. Yeah. And then and they had the one kind that had the liquid in the middle. What was it called? Oh my God. I, uh, uh, I can't remember now. You'd squish into it and it would. You get a mouthful of liquid. I should turn on the like my. But those, but the, but that gum wasn't any good for blowing bubbles. No, even the double du- double bubble wasn't really good for blowing bubbles either, because after you ate one, after about two minutes, all the flavor was gone and it was hard as a rock. You threw another one in your mouth so that the flavors would mix together, and then you'd have twice as much bubble gum. Yes, and and the same with the hubba bubba and the bubblelicious and and all those other ones uh spearmint gum there's no way you could ever do here was it this one just way too small you just shared a screen here was it freshen up was that freshen up yes that is the one or bubblicious oh bubblicious bursts oh that that came out after them yeah because freshen up you think yeah i think freshen up because i remember the the side uh the candy where or the bubble gum where they kind of cut it and it shows a liquid coming out look at this Dr. Pepper, pepper gum, cherry seven up gum and seven. What the hell? 1980s soda gum. Oh my God. Wow. I don't know if that's still here. Now, have you been to the, uh, the train in the forks? I don't know if they're still there. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. With, with all the, uh, all the old yep. type of chocolate bars and they had a pop shop I'm and terrified to take my kids there. All these garbage candy and all yeah. the things that we kind of grew up with that garbage we don't really see anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite the quite the place. Yeah, I don't. I think it's still at the Forks. I know it's. It, I oh wait, they have a location on um, Gordon. Gordon, thank you. What was the name of the? I don't know. Train candy. <laughs> it was such a common name. Now I can't remember. Or... What is called? Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Because we should promote these. These guys are awesome. Oh, they're still at the Forks. Sugar Mountain Express. Sugar Mountain. Yeah, there Sugar Mountain. Yeah, Sugar Mountain. What a great freaking store. Yeah. Like, what a great place. Oh, here we go. Sugar Mountain Home. Yeah. If you want nostalgic uh, candy, that's the place to go. Let's see if they have. Oh wait, uh, locations. I used to like the ones that look like a little pop bottle. Oh, hang on. And it was like a sugar candy sugar inside. Candy, with sugar a Mountain has, it says Ottawa here. So they have it's Ottawa. It's head office. Toronto. Um, I don't know why there's nothing listed for Winnipeg. But anyway, Sugar Mountain, awesome place. Yeah. yeah. It's it it got make... all the retro stuff, like all the retro candies there. Yeah. Yeah. Say it helps make the uh, medicine go down, or how's that go? <laughs> Sugar. <laughs> I'm going to share the screen for one more second because this is I'm enjoying this. Okay. You can see Sugar it. Mountain, the land of candy. Oh, uh, you just missed like the, the there's a whole video that's been playing here the whole time. Here we go. Oh, oh, oh! There's some candy dropping. Some candy dropping. They kind of look like M and M's. Yummy. Here we go. Here's an overview. Oh, the, the oh, gummies. Yeah. Lots of different types of gummies. There's sours there. There's hearts. 
Oh, I want to go buy some candy. Yeah, makes me sleepy just looking at it. <laughs> there, that's I don't I don't know if you I don't know if you caught that. That's where my Winnipeg accent came out. Some candy, candy. That's how they say it here, candy. Well, what? Well, candy. Am I saying it different? No, you are saying it different. I'm saying candy, and you're saying candy. Candy. Yeah. Candy. Yeah. See, <laughs> people think there's no accent in the city we live in because if you're around your, if you don't go anywhere and you're, you know, amongst your community all the time and you don't get out of your community, you have, you assume that you don't have an accent and that everyone else does have an accent. But there yeah. is definitely an accent here. Like there's no, yeah. like there's definitely, I've acquired it since right. moving here. It's not Boston. as drastic as, as say Newfoundland, you know, no. by the tundra, no. but <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. Well, when we first moved here, you could tell we we're from the Maritimes just by the, the way we talk. I don't know if it's uh, it's a certain, like that. certain way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we would go to the store and we will, we go buy, uh, go buy Jean-Luc Saint-Pierre. Yeah. Everyone had yeah. double hyphenated, hyphenated first names. It was a very common thing back home. Yeah. All right, let's go back to this list here. Okay. <laughs> so we have the Microsoft to-do list. This is what we share everything between us. And we have topics that pop up. And this is where it goes. All right, so charging cables for your phone. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did see an article regarding that. Well, and- it's, it's in our phone. If we go, there's the article. If you open that on our phone, I added that as one of the stars. Oh, okay. Because I think they were they were saying, okay, enough is enough. Let's just make it all a standard connection, so we don't have, you so, know, six different friggin' cables. Oh, this isn't the right one. This was. Okay, the so right let, one. let me just read a, a bit of the headline that I shared with you. Okay. Because I saw this and I got pretty excited. So, the EU, which is the European Union, proposes mandatory USB C on all devices, including iPhones. Now, for those of you that don't know what a USB-C is, it has a USB connection on one end, which is the standard connection everyone has on their computers, unless you have Apple products, which they decide they don't want peripherals on their computers for whatever reason. And a lot of this has to do because of Apple, but it goes from your, so it's, it's a charging cable that will go from your computer to your current standard version of anything but an apple product which is an oblong shape so it's circular on each edge so it's like a circle that's been stretched out that's what an oblong is right right or an egg that's been flattened out kind of or an egg that's been flattened out so it's rounded on each edge so when you're plugging in if you turn the plug upside down it will still plug in so it's top and bottom. there is no top or bottom anymore in the old days the USB, maybe it was USB B is what it was before, or D. I can't remember what the old one was called. It was a parallelogram. So it had the bottom was wider than the top, and it could only plug into your device one particular way. So they got rid of that on the latest, like over the last few years, it's now these flattened egg, which is the USB C. Yeah, it was like a D connector for those who remember the old monitors and stuff where you plugged into your computer yes that's it wasn't right. totally around it was it was kind of skewed a little bit 
yeah. so wider on top. It's kind of like a DVI, where yeah. the bottom and the top are different widths. So yeah, like the it new was the standard things that you could only plug it in one way, and they yeah. wanted you to only plug it in one way. Right. Um, but now they've they've they got this new design for the USB C, which which is what I have on my Samsung actually. Yeah, and so all the Samsungs use it. All of the um, that's also the plug that I have for my LG phone. Mm -hmm. um, it is also the plug in for the Microsoft uh, controllers to plug them in for charging. Oh, okay. Okay. It, it is the it is it is almost universal, but not quite because Apple does everything their own way. So this well, is Apple's Apple's got the see these things have more of a, or a, a thing that goes that cups over where. Uh, Apple stuff is kind of a, a slot that has connections on both sides when it goes into the phone. Yeah. It's just kind of an opposite, I don't know if it's reverse engineering or what they did, but yeah. So here's, here's what it says. The European Commission, the executive arm of the European Union, has announced plans to force smartphone and other electronic manufacturers to fit a common USB-C charging port on their devices. The proposal is likely to have the biggest impact on Apple, which continues to use its proprietary lightning connector rather than USB-C connector adopted by most of its competitors. The rules are intended to cut down on electronic waste by allowing people to reuse existing chargers and cables when they buy new electronic devices. And further to that point, when Sylvie got her new phone, which is the latest version of Samsung, it came with no charging cable because you should be able to use your old charging cable. That's the idea. Why do you need to produce more cables? Because we've gone through so many different, like the phone, the, the charging cables for your phones from 10 years ago changed probably four or five times in that, in that span of time. So uh, the proposal, the proposals only cover devices using wired, not wireless chargers. Uh, EU commissioner, Thierry Breton said in a press conference, adding that there is plenty of room for innovation on wireless. A spokesperson for the commission subsequently confirmed to The Verge that a USB-C port is only mandatory for devices that charge using a cable. But if a device charges exclusively via wireless, like Apple's rumored portless iPhone, there's no requirement for a USB-C charging cord. So if it can be charged wirelessly, or it doesn't have any peripheral entry into your phone at all, then they can avoid having a USB-C. That's what they're pushing towards. Here's a question. Yes. How, and, and I mean, this is obviously a technology thing that we have to do research on, but when you buy these charging stations, they're just kind of a magnetic thing, okay? You just put your phone on it, and all of a sudden your phone starts charging. Yep. With no physical wired connection going to your phone mm -hmm. now now is this similar to you remember back in the day when they had the watches where when you moved it it was self-winding mm -hmm. now is that something that they have in the phone that's it's kind of a a magnetic something that turns that actually helps charge the phone i you know? don't know how it works i've never really looked into that technology which is really interesting because i mean it doesn't matter whether you had an iphone or samsung or whatnot as long as you have a charging station I think they all pretty much work the same. Whereas the opposite with the cable, now all of a sudden you have to have the appropriate cable mm -hmm. for your phone. And of course, 
the only reason why they would change it would probably be, you know, uh, we can't make money if we're not selling product. Mm-hmm. So we have to do some changes and upgrades, yep. and whatnot, which is pretty much every company. Like yep. we can't just keep selling this same thing over and over again. Let's make the improved version. Everybody will want it. Uh, it might be better. It might not be. Who knows? And that's the problem. E-waste is a, is a big problem. Like e- <sighs> new phone every year, new phone every year. But why? Like yeah. they're, they're so quick to rush out a new phone with the latest like Xbox, there's been three, one, two, three. There's been four Xboxes total. Like, why don't they just buy, like, why can't you just buy an attachment to your Xbox to upgrade it to the next level? Like, why, in the old days when you had a Nintendo or Super Nintendo, there was something you could plug in to your, I think it was the SNES, you could plug into to make it faster, to better processing speed. So as opposed to buying a whole new system, you could just buy the attachment. But no, you always have to buy a new system. You always have to buy a new phone. You always have to buy a new TV. You always have to buy a new... In the old days, I, I like before our time, you bought a TV and you spent a fortune on that TV, but that TV would last you for 10 years or longer. But now it's like they want it to recycle faster but we're not recycling these electronics. Like it doesn't recycle. You can't just throw it in the garbage and throw it in a landfill. Like that's not the right way to dispose of this stuff. Well, I'll, I'll answer that with a question. What makes the world go round? Money. Yes. Yeah, so where's the profit margin? Is there higher profit putting out a whole new system with all new games that they can charge $60, $70 for? Or is it more profitable to buy an extension to be able to see? It depends if you want to if you want to retain the customers that you have, and being able to keep playing the games that you have to be able to upgrade. I mean, the technology is there. You can't tell me it's not. I mean, I'm sure there's these engineers that look at this says, "Oh yeah, we could do that," or they've done it themselves, but yep. it's just for a personal thing. Okay, I've I've done mine. Sure, we could mass produce these things, but what's the um, what's the end profit? What's what's the bottom line? What's going to keep the investors happy? And I think that's, and, and we've talked about video games before where, and we had this big discussion on, you know, why don't they make a cross-platform? Like if you've got a PS whatever, or if you've got a Xbox, whatever, or, you know, all the, or PC, like why can't, I mean, if you look it up, you can buy games for each platform, Yep. but you need someone to say, you know what, we're going to amalgamate these all. You guys can all play together. It doesn't matter what system you have. It's like, okay, well, I've got an Xbox. So if I want to play with you, you have to have an Xbox. Oh, and a friend of ours that we met, uh, they'll have to have an Xbox. Well, they got a PS, so we can't play with them. So, uh, and you and I have, have played uh, a couple of games cross-platform, yeah. uh, cross-platform, which yep. we had discussed about. We said it, it can be done. It's whether someone wants to actually step up and do it. And they, and they have done it. Well, it, maybe it's like this. So, so with this thing, with the USB-C, the European Union is stepping forward going, this is fucking ridiculous. Enough. Now that's them. Stop. But they have to have everyone else in agreement. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know how much, like, I, I don't know how the European Union works. I don't know how any regulatory bodies or how any, how they would put push through something like that. But we need the same thing with video games where it's like, okay, you can buy the game. You don't need to buy it for each system. You just need to buy the game once. 
and you can Whoa. play it on any system you have. Or it doesn't matter. Like if you have to buy it for the Xbox, it's got to be cross-platform. If you can't make a great, like it's almost like they need to impose, look, all this technology is the same. When it comes to, it's coming off of a server, the button configuration on an Xbox, on a Nintendo, on a PS, or on a PC controller, if you have a controller plugged into your PC, it's the same configuration and they can change the configuration anyway. But it has four buttons on the top, like on the upper right, there's two um, uh, buttons and then there's two triggers. Every controller is exactly the same, doesn't matter what system. So there's a universality there already. So then why is there an issue with cross-platform? I think someone needs to step in and say, no, you have to make it this way. But if they do that, the company that's producing that game is not limited. Oh, it's an exclusive PS game only or Xbox game. Fuck off. Like that, you should be able to buy, you should be able to buy a Sanyo DVD player or a Sony DVD player or an Atachi DVD player. You should be able to go to the store, buy that DVD and play it on whichever one you have. Why are video games not that way? That's the question I have. Well, it, they're all it's the self, same thing. They're all self-serving. I mean, they, they have to create one to make their own profit. But what I could see is like similar to what you're saying with the cables, the controllers you said are pretty much the same. They are. But I'm assuming all the controllers that plug into these gaming systems all have different type of connectors. Now, if you had all these gaming systems saying, okay, they're you know all what? wireless now. We're all oh okay, they're wireless. Okay, but if they were wired, you or, could say, okay, we need or, a USB connection. Or they use a USB C. <laughs> or or a USB yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah that, that's the, the same. So if you're used to this type of controller, but you went to a different gaming system, no problem. You just plug it in, you configure it the way you want. Not a problem because once you go to a different controller, you're kind of used to the way the things are. Some of them have the sticks, some of them have the pads, some of them have. Well, they all have the stick. You no, know, they're all the same. They all have the stick. They all and they're all molded differently, so they fit in your hand differently. Yeah. So whatever yeah. you're used to, you should be able to plug into whatever unit you want. And then there's third-party companies that make controllers as well, right? But then it'll say good for your Xbox, good yeah. for your PS, good for your PC. Yeah, so they don't have to do, you know, a specific mold for, okay, well, we, we need to, to do a, a setup for this type of controller for this system, the same controller, but we have to set it up for this other system. Why? Just make them all the same. We, we need who's... the European uni Union to come in and step in and go, okay, stop this bullshit. <laughs> Exclusive only to fuck off. Like, what, what, is that, what does that even mean? Oh, I'm trying to sell more Xboxes. You're hurting the developer. If it's a small independent developer and they sign an exclusive contract yes they probably get a big upfront pay to have their stuff only on xbox but they're limiting what they might be able to do is okay well i got a lot of money from xbox to put it exclusively on the xbox but xbox didn't market this properly or x or market it well enough and no one's buying my fucking game maybe i should have made it available on all, on all consoles and taken my you know, taking my chances that way. Like, how do you, you know, it, it's like Rogan signing exclusively to Spotify. Okay. But I can still listen to Joe Rogan anywhere I want. So what, what does that even mean? 
So you'd have to have a company come in and say, okay, we're called universal. Do you remember, do you remember the Gemini system mm -hmm. you used to be able to play Atari games? I didn't know that, but not reversed. You could play Atari on, on that system, but not the other way around. Okay. Now, now if you started a company called, we'll just say universal. Okay. We'll just call it that. And if someone copies that, uh, I've just copyrighted it. So don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Patent pending contact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you had a, a company called universal, okay, this is going to be the gaming system of all gaming systems. Okay. So oh, I, love where, I love where this is going. So now you've got a gaming system that can play and, and it's got the codecs and, and whatever it is that you need inside these gaming systems, because technology is there and it's, it's, it's totally, doable. This is totally doable. There's no fans yeah. here at all, really. And you could and you could actually charge more for it than you would for an individual Xbox, a PS, sure. or, or whatever, because you could say, this will do it all. This will do PC games, it'll do Xbox games, PS3 games, you know, whatever, whatever system, you know, uh, Wii or or whatever, you could have them all with the connections. Okay. So if you have a cartridge connection, you pop it in there, you've got the CD. Uh, you know, well, it's Blue easier Ray, now because Blu-ray player. You don't need any of that stuff anymore. It's all digital. It's just the digital copy of a game. Yeah, or even or yeah, the digital copy, right? So, yeah. So it, it can be done. I mean, if if you can take a Wii, uh, copy games off the internet, buy an aftermarket uh, controller chip or whatnot, where you open it up and you change a couple wires around, it goes through this little unit, and now you can play burnt games. So there's like, okay, well, they've got the technology to bypass whatever copyrights, uh, you know, keep your copyrights, but at least make it cross-platform within the same unit. So, but you'd have to start a company, but now, now the legalities. It's come. all just legal. Yeah. It, it's not, so now it's like, well, this is proprietary to them. We've yep. got, you know, the, whatever, I don't know if you can re reverse engineer it or how that all works, but to make it legal, but it can be done. Now, we, we talked about this before saying, you know, cross-platform, and they've gone ahead and done it. And yeah. I'm sure they didn't listen to our podcast and they oh, said, no, you know I'm what? Sure. Hey, let's do that. <laughs> but damn it. No, they were listening to us. That's what happened. Because <laughs> we've been talking be about cross-platform for years. Yeah. On this show. But I'm sure a lot of people probably thought of the same idea. Well, I'm it's sure. like when you think of something, someone's already thought of it. Whether they actually go ahead and do it or they're currently developing it. Uh, that that could be also because hey, look we're, we're we're cheap, so if you stole the idea off the show for cross platform play, go to our T Public store, look up Sean Geek Podcast, all one word, and buy a T shirt and say, "Hey, that was a great idea. Thank you for providing it. I'm buying a T shirt to pay you for your idea." Or if you create this cross platform gaming system, you could always you know send us a couple for us to test for you. We'll definitely do that. We're easy to work with. Yeah, to work with. Okay, I'm taking it off the list. That was actually really good. I actually that that charging cable thing was like was way more blown up than than um than than I hoped, which is good. It was very good. Okay, <clears throat> do you remember in the '80s? Okay, there was a song that came out by a band called Band Aid. Do you know it's Christmas? Do they know it's Christmas? Do you remember that song? No, Band-Aid. This, this was kind of like one of those um, things where all the different 
uh, artists came together and, and did We Are the World type of thing, but it was a Christmas one? Well, Band-Aid came first. That was the first one. And that was organized by Bob Geldof. And he brought a bunch of British or UK artists, I guess, together and did the song. Do they know it's Christmas? He was trying to raise money for Africa because there was a famine going on there. It was really, really bad. And he started that and they released the song, recorded it, uh, egos aside, labels aside, management aside. Somehow, I don't know how the fuck he did this. But he managed to get everyone under one roof to record the song that he wrote right. and release it and then send all the proceeds to uh, for, for famine relief in Africa. Uh, later, Bob Geldof went and did the Live Aid event. Mm-hmm. That's when he got knighted, I believe, was for doing the Live Aid event. So the first one was the Band-Aid one. Well, then later, the Americans wanted to go hey we can do one of these ourselves like this was the the nice uk one let's do an american version cool right so Mm -hmm. quincy jones uh organized that with michael jackson and assembled an american one really cool so they released uh we are the world written by quincy jones and i think michael jackson i'm not sure but quincy jones was the the godfather of that whole setup and brought a bunch of people in now i know personally for me when I think, do they know it's Christmas is the better of the two? Mm-hmm. We are the world's okay. It's fine. It's not bad. I mean, it raised a bunch of money and great. But I always felt between those two things, it was a, the slimmest representation of music in each of those incarnations. And I'm not the only one that thought that. So it's like, okay, well, so I'm, I'm actually going to pull up here. Um, band aid. Now, would this be considered, like, could you actually play it without being? Like, can I play it right now? Yeah, like, I, I can't see us getting a cease and desist on, on, this was to raise money. Oh, they'll find a way to do it. Oh, okay. Now. Have you ever gone a step further? Okay. Everything's on the surface, right? Okay. We are the world um, Christmas. Okay. We're going to, we're going to send money to Africa. Now that's fine. But have you ever gone a step further going, okay, who's getting the money? Oh, how's it being spent? And how are they being fed? Cause you have to pay. Okay, I'm sure Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson don't work for free. So I'm sure the production that they had for that, did they take a cut? How many other people took a cut? Did, was there anything? Was it just the time for the people? Because they like to, I don't a lot think of the artists like to have a, a facade in the front, but sure. you never know what's going on in the, in the back end. It's kind of like when you donate to some of these charities. When you look at some of these charities, look at the CEOs making these millions of dollars. It's like, well, wait a second. I thought you were a charity. Where, where, why are you getting all this money? I thought this was, oh, yeah. Well, uh, 10 cents for every dollar goes to, yeah. you know, your, your, your thing, which is still okay. But obviously, they're, they're making money on it. And if no one else did it, there's, there would be no money in the end. But I, I don't know for sure. I don't know if there's any way to know for sure. But so here, here's the thing. So <clears throat> it was... And this is the problem I have 
with music in general, it's all about the vocalist. Every time. People listen to music, they don't even realize that there's music. Like, it's music with a singer. Like, it's always music with a singer. But someone's got to make that music. Otherwise, the singer has nothing to sing to you. Right. Well, everybody can replicate the sound of whatever the bass and the guitar and the keyboard and whatnot, because, I mean, they've got all these effects that they can book through to make it sound exactly the same. When it comes to a singer, a singer is pretty much the, the throaty, like whatever sound is coming out is pretty much yeah. unique. True. So, okay. so everyone has, I mean, everyone can sing the same song, but it always sounds different because of just the way that okay, their, their voice comes out. So when you recognize a song, you could have the same guy singing in two different bands. You would think that it's the same band because you're used to the way that the person sings. So I guess the, 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 the thing I, so, okay. So I just pulled up the wiki page for USA, sorry, for um, Band-Aid. So they brought together the singers for, see, oh, this one's a little bit better. So it's not just the singers. See, I like that. Okay. They brought in lots of different people. Or maybe they didn't. Oh, maybe not. Okay, so vocalist Robert Cool Bell, who's from Cool in the Gang. So Cool from Cool in the Gang. Mm-hmm. Bono from U2. <clears throat> uh, Pete Briquette from the Boomtown Rats. Adam Clayton from the from U2. And it says vocalist here, but Adam Clayton is not the vocalist for U2, but I guess they all did background vocals. Phil Collins, Chris Cross, uh, Simon Crow, Boomtown Rats. Uh, Sarah Dallin and Siobhan Fahey from Bananarama. More Boomtown Rats people. Culture Club, so there's Boy George. Um, uh, one, two, three, four. Four people from Spandau Ballet. Simon LeBon, Duran Duran. Marilyn, I don't know who that is. Were these people who knew people that got them in there? <laughs> It's got nothing to do with. Well, there's a whole political being super status. superstars, but yeah, uh, George Michael from Wham, uh, John Moss from Culture Club. So he's I can't remember which guy that is. Uh, status Quo was another band. Uh, Sting from the Police was there. Uh, JT from Cool and the Gang was there. Uh, so it says it's calling them vocalists, but they're actually they brought in various members of each of these bands. So it looks like it's a better representation of we brought the whole band in to do this as opposed to let's just bring the vocalists in because no one gives a shit about the musicians but it looks like they brought the musicians in as well um and then the musicians the people that actually played the music not the vocal was phil collins on drums john taylor on bass from duran duran mm-hmm. andy taylor from duran duran on guitar and midge Ur on keyboards and programming so that was the band and then everyone else did vocals contributed vocals right now every single one of these bands it's kind of a a nice hodgepodge of all over the place right like you got cool in the gang which is like kind of funk and r&b right u2 mm-hmm. which is kind of a rock band uh duran duran which is like a new wave band so it's kind of a, like a nice mix of lots of different styles of music which is pretty cool mm-hmm the USA for Africa, which is what the American one was called. Uh, let me just go and see who was on here. Mostly vocalists. There wasn't really a nice mention of like people that weren't vocalists. They just used like a studio band for 
the background and yeah oh, here we go just put a bunch of singers uh, in the front here we go instrument players john barnes and keyboard david pache on synthesizers now does it say what bands they're from or are these just individual no, musicians? It, looks like, it looks like just studio people okay. i don't know i don't recognize a single one of these names um and then vocalists on this like oh, okay they have soloists so the people that soloed and then there's everyone that sang the chorus together it was just everyone like they had all the jacksons on there yeah they tried to give the spotlight to well a lot of them yeah like every verse was someone different so right. i mean so, you can't have the song you know you can't have the song 20 minutes long either so yeah so like so the american one had lionel like these are leads they, they sang leads or solos or whatever right so lionel richie stevie wonder paul simon kenny rogers oh they actually had a country person that's kind of cool james ingram uh, i don't know who that is tina turner billy joel michael jackson diana ross diane dion oh my god dion warwick Willie Nelson, Al Jarreau, Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry from Journey. Oh, cool. Daryl Hall, Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Kim Carnes, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles. That's actually a pretty good section of music. No rappers. Wow, this is pre-rap. Like rapper, rap was just starting around that time, right? Or sorry, it was just starting to get popular at that time. It wasn't like run dmc or <laughs> yeah so this was 85 i mean there was rap before that don't get me wrong but it wasn't it's it, popularized it's it popularized yeah yeah so it's interesting so i mean it's a it's a cross section of music but again i mean outside of maybe like bruce springsteen not a lot of representation of rock in there kind of a little bit of everything else but no actual rock in there didn't have any like long-haired glasses Tape musicians yeah no not really like poison and uh monte crew and your typical 80s rock bands yeah the so, hair metal def leopard so they did that they it, so canada did their own i was just gonna say did canada do one with yeah. uh, say rush and uh um oh, tears are not enough was the song right yeah, uh, Northern Lights. That's what the Canadian one was called. Now this one, its representation was kind of interesting. So solo, oh wow, the solo vocalists a lot less. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and then there was oh, and then there was duos and trios. There's people singing together, so they actually split it up. They had solos, they had people duetting or trioing, and then a whole bunch of people singing the chorus. So. This one was put together by David Foster. This and, was after. Yeah, this was after all of the other ones. Yeah, so so the so the musicians on this this is this is actually a bit more interesting than the other one. So David Foster and keyboards, and he's also the producer of the whole thing. Jim Valance played drums and had other duties. Paul Dean, from Lover Boy, was the guitar. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Denroche on French horn. Doug Johnson, who's from Loverboy as well, he did the uh, synthesizer. Mm -hmm. David Sinclair, he's from Body Electric. He did acoustic guitar. And then uh, just a bunch of engineers. One of the engineers is Bob Rock. You know Bob Rock. He was also in the Paolas. So that was the, the band. And then the, the solos were Gordon Lightfoot, Burton Cummings, and Anne-Marie. <laughs> oh, lovely. Joni Mitchell, Dan Hill. Remember Dan Hill? 
Yep. Sometimes when we touch, <laughs> the honesty is too much. Uh, Neil Young, Brian Adams, Corey Hart. Oh my God, Corey Hart. He was Corey Hart. at that point, right? Yeah. Br- Br- Bruce Coburn. If I yeah. had a rocket launcher. Good tune. Getty Lee sang. And, yeah. uh, and who else? Mike Reno from Loverboy, of course. Well, of course. Like, how could you not have him? Um, this one came out in 85 as well. Wait a minute. 85. So the Band-Aid one came out in 84. We Are the World came out in 85. The Canadian one, Northern Lights, was 85. So so the Canadian one had more rock on it. There was actually rock representation, like with Loverboy and Rush. Right. I mean, honestly, that sounds like a better collection. They didn't have like uh, Honeymoon Suite or Triumph or Street Heart or any... I think they must the other have Canadian. Had, well, hang on. Okay, so then there's the duos and trios. So those are the vocal, the solo vocalists. The the duos and trios: Mike Reno with Liberty Silver. I'm not sure who that is. Carol Baker, Ronnie Hawkins, and Murray McLaughlin. Ooh, see? Ronnie Hawkins. Yeah, Ronnie <laughs> Hawkins. Uh, and then oh, see the they had French representation too, so French music. So Véronique Beliveau, Robert Charlebois, and Claude Dubois. They sang the the French one. Brian Adams sang with Donnie uh, Gerard from Skylark. I'm not sure who that is. Alfie Zappa Costa. Remember Zappa Costa? Oh, I remember that name. Uh, he sang with Lisa Del Bello uh, and Carol Pope from Rough Trade. Sang with Paul Hyde from the Paolas. <laughs> Who've got the eyes? <laughs> and uh, what Carol Pope sang that? Um, God damn it! What was that song she sang? Um, High school, high school, confidential. Oh, that one. Yeah. Uh, and then there was also Salem Bell, Mark Holmes from Platinum Blonde, and Lorraine Segato from the Parachute Club. Remember those? Parachute Club? Yep. Yeah. No, uh, they popularized parachute pants. There's no uh, Celine Dion or Nana Miss well, this, this is pre. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Is Nana Canadian? But interesting. So in the chorus, they had like, but this is fucking awesome, okay? In the chorus, like the, the group that sang the chorus, Leona Boyd, Ooh. John Candy. John Candy? John Candy. Seriously? Yes. You remember seeing him in the video? I got to go back and watch it now. Uh, Tom Cochran, Red Rider. Tommy mm-hmm. Hunter. Tommy Hunter, man. Wow. Martha Johnson. Not sure who that is. Eugene Levy. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Uh, Dean McTaggart from the Arrows. Frank Mills, he did like the most famous piano, uh, piano dancer, uh, ballroom, whatever. Now, did they record this in the uh, in TV studios? Is that why they had John in, Candy in, and, and Levy? Well, Paul Schaefer was there. Oh, wow. Uh, Jane Sibri, Ian Thomas. Who is Paul Schaefer playing with at that time in the 80s? I don't know if he was quite on. Um, Before he got on, was it Letterman or? I don't think he was Letterman back then. I don't know if he was in Letterman. Uh, Ian and Ian and Sylvia were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Harris, Catherine O'Hara from SCTV. Yeah. Andy Kim, Wayne St. John, Brian Good from the Good Brothers. Uh, was this from the Spoons? Oh, Richard Manuel from the band. Aldenova was there. Oh. So, I don't know. The Canadian one. Okay, so we've 
three different ones here. Canadian one's pretty impressive. What studio did they record it in? Um, I, I, I want to say Toronto. Because uh, if SCTV, all the cast is involved, it's like, oh, we're going to be doing a thing. Hey, we'll be down there. Uh, we're filming. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I for, to, totally forgot. In the video, they also featured Wayne Gretzky, Grant, Grant Fur, Jerry Curry, and uh, Miroslav Freiser. Were they singing? Uh, well, they were. They, I think they were kind of singing to the chorus, but they were in, at, at the 1985 NHL All-Star Game in Calgary. Okay. Um. I, the Canadian one, for me, my memories of it, the Canadian one was always better, but it's because I'm I'm a proud Canadian, I would say. Mm -hmm. It just felt more, it wasn't just, hey, look at all this small group of singers. It was it was a representation of Canada, period. By having yeah. the hockey players in there. Not just the singers. The, yeah, having the SCTV people there. Um, having Paul Dean do your guitar. Like actually having a band yeah you know like a real like rock band so it, it was a more the song was better it did, didn't sound like a, a glossy pop but don't forget but, when the first one comes out i mean they have a standard the way that they did it and then when it's, it's like it's like anything else a company well we want to do the same thing but what what designates us different from them yeah so then the americans yeah, did their version yeah. and then when the canadians went there okay well we're going to do some harmonizing with a bunch of people, we're yeah. going to add people that aren't actual singers, but Canadian icons or, or whatever you want to call them, just popular people mm -hmm. in Canada. And then uh, we'll make our own version. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Um, now there was one more. Do you know what the last one was? Who the singer? No, no. What the last group. They so did the same thing. So uh, when I talk about representation, there was a there was a lack of representation for certain styles of music. The Canadian one had some of that. They had rock in there. The American one totally forgot that you need, you know, you can play a guitar and write a song on a guitar. And it was just felt more like keyboards and pop and synth and that sort of stuff. And then the British was a had some rock in there, but the 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 rep the lack of representation in all of these was heavy metal or or hard rock it wasn't fully represented okay didn't dio wasn't dio in one of them yes okay yes dio did his own he's like okay you know what like it's all these singers great awesome we're, we're you we're shining a spotlight on the vocalists but he wanted to do something more. He wanted to represent the guitar players and the bands and all that sort of stuff. So his is my favorite. Is it a better song? I don't know. I really enjoy the song. And I've watched the video over and over and over and over and over again. And how many times did you do that with the other ones? Oh, one, one off. Yeah. One after one. I just, good. See, I just wanted to figure out who was in there. Right. The songs weren't engaging enough except for the canadian tears are not enough i listened to a bunch of times band-aid later you know in later years i've come to appreciate that song a lot more but i'm gonna be honest the usa for africa my least favorite of those three hmm. easily my least favorite of those three the band-aid one is actually a really well-crafted song i really enjoy it it's a showcase of a lot of different stuff 
Um, the Boomtown Rats are not a, which is Bob Geldof, is not a mainstream band. They're kind of alternative before there was alternative. Mm-hmm. So that had some spice to it. Like it was a bit more different of a song. And I think a, a, a much better written song than the USA for Africa one. But the Can- tears are not enough. Like, I don't know, the Canadian one. It, I, I think it's really solid. Um, who actually wrote it? I'm curious. Um, oh, there was also one, uh, Cantare Cantaras by a super group of Latin American and Spanish singers. Wow, that's cool. Oh, there's also uh, one done in France. Cool. And then one in Quebec. I don't know anything about those. So Bruce mm. Allen organized the Canadian one. Uh, oh, it's written by David Foster, Jim Valance, Brian Adams, Rachel Piment, Paul Hyde, and Bob Rock. They wrote the song together, which is wow. That's a slice of Canadian talent right there. Okay. okay. So back to the hearing aid one. Do you need to hear it to remember how it sounds? Hearing aid. Yeah, that was another one. That uh... was that was the deal one. So this one featured um now these are all metal now this was a whole album they did a whole album oh they had the song stars which was that ever had everyone on it right then they had uh other tracks on there so a live track from accept a live track from motorhead it's like stars on 45 remember all the different songs they put together yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, this one, all live track from Rush, uh, live track from Kiss. Uh, they put a Jimi Hendrix song on there. There was a uh, live in Philadelphia from Dio, um, Y&T song, and a Scorpion song live. So that was. So these are live songs that, of what they did. This isn't a specific song to, to help for this. sell. Yeah, to help sell the album, they put. So the major song and then all these other artists put their live versions of the songs that they make. Yeah. There was people that just couldn't make it to the studio. Like, cause this was organized in a very short notice when okay. this was put together. So um, the song stars was written by Dio, Vivian Campbell and Jimmy Bain. So the Dio people. Nice. Um, I'm just going to play a snippet of it. Um, here and need. And this this might be my most watched video of all time. Flat out. I've, oh yeah, because it's it's heavier. Here, let me just pause it. Wow, you get Ted Nugent in the back and Neil yeah. Sean. Oh yeah, this this is. Isn't this like? It gives me goosebumps. Are you okay? I I thought I was the only one getting <laughs> goosebumps. Okay. Now when they when everyone sings in that range, that high range, because yeah. yeah. that was that was the thing back in the eighties. Like if oh, you could yeah. sing in a high range. Uh, like skid row like that type of uh, a thing then you know it just create a band we'll back you up and when you listen to these guys sing it they almost sound the same i mean the only one that kind of sounded different seemed to be uh Dawkin. yeah that was that was a, that was the only one everyone else because the range was so high yeah and they all had the same uh these are power singers like yeah they're not like this isn't a um like Johnny Cash, one yeah. range. These yeah, are yeah. like way up there. So this is like a music for me. This one was a musician's one. Yeah. And, and when I heard Dio, musicians it was, weren't really 
Oh, Dio is an amazing singer. Like, yeah, just goosebumps for sure. Yeah. Do you remember the solo for this song? Uh, no, not offhand. Okay, I, I'm not going to play the whole thing because we'll be here all day. Okay. At this point, we skipped ahead to the guitar solo section of the song Stars by Here and Aid and get to see a slew of different guitar players sling their axes. Here's what we had to say about it. These guys were all at the pinnacle of their of their careers. Like the other songs are almost embarrassing to listen to when you hear how great this is because this was a showcase of musicians, singers, songwriters, uh, groove. Like there was, was so good. It's ridiculous. Like the other ones, like are almost embarrassing to listen to. <laughs> you know, like. I don't know, man. Wow. So I've got all the listings. So there, there was, were there any of those singers that you didn't know who they were? Cause there was some that I didn't. Uh, you know what? They all had the big hair and some of them had the glasses and you couldn't really tell who they were. Yeah. So there was the one guy with the dark hair. It was Eric Bloom. He's the oh, guy that had a really, few. <laughs> there's uh, a few. He was from blue oyster cult. Oh, okay. The guy who was, he had, glasses and stuff and he was a good singer i don't like i I'm, i don't know blue oyster cult that well and then it was ronnie james dio mm-hmm. don dawkin kevin yeah. debrow from quiet riot of course you know who that is rob yeah. halford from judas priest right yeah uh dave menachetti from ynt okay that was one of the guys that guy's no one realizes how good a singer he is they all they always forget about ynt but they're wine they're wine too is good i don't know if they awesome. were as popular as some of the other ones no they should have been yeah uh, and then paul shartino from rough cut and then jeff tate from queens right he was the guy wearing white or whatever mm-hmm. like that was amazing but like if you want to talk about <laughs> history michael mckean in character and credited as david st hubbins of spinal tap <laughs> Harry Shearer, in character, and credited as Derek Smalls of Spinal Tap. Oh, God. But, like, the... and then the solos. Did you recognize everyone from those solos? I think we hit everyone. Pretty much. Like, they, yeah. they kind of rotated. They didn't use a different person every time. They mm-hmm. kind of went from, you know, they had they had Neil Sean and Ingrid Malmsteen and, and um, I was going to say, no, Steve Morris wasn't there, but. There's, they oh, just kept they just yeah. kept looping over and over again. Yeah, no, it's Craig Craig Goldie. Oh, right. Craig Goldie was with Geofria at the time, and he later replaced Vivian Campbell and Dio. Oh, okay, uh, Eddie Ojeda from Twisted Sister, Vivian Campbell and Dio, Brad Gillis from Night Ranger, Night Ranger. I was it. Yeah, um, Neil Schoen, Neil Schoen, George Lynch, Ingve Malmsteen, Vivian Campbell. Oh, they actually break all the solos out. So you know who's playing each solo. First solo, second solo, third solo, fourth solo, fifth solo, sixth solo. Uh, Brad Gills, Buck Dharma from Bruce, Blue Oyster Cult. I didn't recognize that guy. I think he was the short-haired guy. The only short-haired guy in the room. <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, Vinny Apice and Frankie Benali did the drums. Uh, Frankie Benali's from Quiet Riot. You know what would be interesting? If they have, okay, so you know, like at the very end, they show the picture of everybody 
that's in the crowd, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone that's singing, whatnot. Yep. If you took all those guys today that are, well, the ones that are still around, yep. if you put them all in there and had a, a side by side picture with both groups saying, this is what these guys look like, you know, 30 or 40 years later, or I don't know how yeah. many years it's been now. Because, you know, I mean, classic rock that's now is considered days. oldies. Yeah. And even the stuff that was back in the 90s is now considered oldies. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, this is pretty good. Um, I don't know. I still hear this song, and to me, this song is still good. I like that song. But the USA for Africa, like, well, I don't even remember what their song was called. I just remember they're called USA for Africa. Oh, we are the world. Yeah. That well, it was, it was low key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it goes by the people who wrote it, too. I mean, they weren't, you know rockers who wrote the actual song it was written by oh hang on i am wrong uh we are the world was written by michael jackson and lionel richie yeah and they're or not they're exactly really... metal right no they're more of a, a pop, pop, yeah. pop they're not even r&b it's like just pop yeah really what they were doing back in the 80s yeah pre-r&b so we are the so your favorite of the four? Oh, definitely the last one okay yeah yeah, it's flat out like, but this is the one I think they're the ones that that raised the least amount of money, the metal one, which is weird because metal was freaking huge in the 80s, you know? Yeah. And I well, think it was the metal, metal players had no money. Yeah. <laughs> the followers for metal had no money. Yeah. <laughs> Too well, busy banging their heads. Money. Yeah. But I don't <laughs> know. This, I, I, this, this still holds up to me like big time. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, doesn't. Yeah, okay. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to re <laughs> re share this and re listen to, and just every everything about it was amazing. And the only reason it didn't have more people in it was was pure scheduling. I think they had a they had like two days to to write two days to record the song complete mm -hmm. something like that. And then I think he wrote it like in a weekend. Like Dio wrote it in a weekend. Dio and his band. And it's like, okay, we got to do it. And to get all those people in, like in that short amount of time. Uh, let's see here. I'm just, I'm just curious. Oh, they had 48 hours. Wait, hang on. Well, I think there's only like five notes in the song and they repeat uh, two notes throughout most of it. Oh, here we go. Then, then to do a chorus change and yeah, I mean, it's not, a bridge change, but it is fairly simple. So yeah. it says, okay, it was recorded on the 20th and 21st of May, 1985, with the first session at Sound City Studios and then moving to AM Rec Records Studios, Studio A, for the second session where they had recorded We Are the World. Um, so yeah, the turnaround time was ridiculous. Wow. Okay, everybody has to fly in on this date. Ah, but here's what they did. They actually created a nonprofit organization, a longer-term nonprofit organization to distribute the funds. So headed just by, like a one-shot deal? No, uh, headed by Wendy Dio, which is um, Ronnie James's wife. Right. Oh, wow. Prior to the album release, the, in, the indicative, and indicative of their business acumen and commitment to the project's success Ronnie, Jimmy, and Vivian, all from Dio, established Hearing Aid as a full-fledged nonprofit, presumably to avoid 
experiencing similar missteps and pitfalls encounter with the previous African aid efforts. Hearnaid has, he quoted, Hearnaid had to be a nonprofit organization. We had to set up a board of directors, 14 people, and all decisions had to be made by the board. My role was getting the licensing. Uh, that's what Wendy Dio said. Oh, getting the licensing. So get to get all those people in the same room on multiple different record labels in the same all, that's all their that's manager's what, approval. Yeah, that's what Wendy did. <laughs> the classic rock article also indicates the project leadership and participants were well aware that the funds raised from similar events such as Band-Aid were squandered due to governmental corruption, as well as suffering from general disorganization, which led to things such as food rotting on docks. Missteps. Yeah. Wow. Who's controlling it? Where's the money go? This came out in 86. All the other ones came out in 84, 85, right? So this is mm -hmm. the funds raised through the Here and Aid project were instead used to purchase and ship agricultural machinery. Wow, this is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. so what? This is the background stuff that no one ever sees. Sure, there's money for this and there's money for that, but who's controlling the money and, who, and what are they doing with it? Wow. And they dissolved this in 91. So that, you know what? God damn it, Wendy Dio was smart. <laughs> like she managed Dio's career, you know. Like, was she her man his manager? Yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. But she's genius and she's still managing how everything works. And because I mean, Dio, if you think about it, could not have been a huge artist if marketed wrong. Doesn't have the 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 Kip Winger good looks or whatever, or John Bon Jovi good looks. He's short in stature, he's not a very tall person. But you look more like a wizard with the, the big yeah. cloak and the big long yeah. you know, things under his arms and, and I'm sure his arms of, out and you like to. Yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of that, that's like her influence on him. You like, you know, like let's like, like they worked it together to to make a lo really long standing career. You know, like, I don't know. I think she's impressive. Yeah. We'll, we'll take my sparkly dress. I'll, I'll redo it. We'll slit it and we'll cut it. We'll <laughs> yep. put it on you like a drape mm. and with the light shining on it, it'll be all sparkly. Yep. Um, peak position on the charts, only charted charted on Australia, number 76. Oh. Band-Aid, on the other hand. Let's see. Chart success. Uh well, it doesn't actually say. Hmm. Oh well, whatever. But I mean the 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 band-aid one led to um the big concert the you know which was pretty cool mm -hmm. but anyway that's that's that cool I, I think uh it's time to go see my family <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so where can we find us todd uh we can find us at uh seanmcginnity.ca that's s-e-a-n-m-c-g-i-n-i-t-y .ca. Yeah. Um, now you've got a bunch of Twitter handles yep. and and Instagram and stuff. It's at <laughs> the at sign, right? The at sign, which is like an A with a circle around it. Yeah. Uh, Sean Geek Podcast on everything. All one word. All one word. Yep. S A N G E E K P O D C A S T. We got to turn that into a song. And then um, uh, also T Public. M O U S E. 
look up Sean Geek Podcast again. Also, the same thing again, Sean Geek Podcast on T Public, and you can buy some swag. You can get some cups, mugs, shirts, hats, bags, thongs, and apparently thongs. <laughs> Wear the whole ensemble, and then you'll have like the my ugly bald face all over your body. Yeah, you'll have a message. Where are the thongs? Where are the thongs? The, the thongs, thongs are on the album. Yeah, the thongs, they were written. Anyway. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Todd. That was fun. And I guess I'll see you tomorrow for Thanksgiving. Sounds good. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.